This is Keeping Current with Wayne Potter. One of the ways we understand our state or city or even our immediate neighborhood is to take a look at the architecture that's found there. Oregon has benefited substantially from the creative work of the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. One of Oregon cities has a house that's designed by him and carefully maintained near the Oregon Garden. So to help us understand our state, I took time to talk with Kim Knox, a key player in the efforts to move the Gordon House and also maintain it. Perhaps you'll get a chance to visit this unique place and see Oregon in a new way. Well, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, chatting with me about the, the Gordon House and uh, how it uh, how it's grown and changed in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps for uh, an audience that may not know much more than the name at this point, mm-hmm. perhaps you could explain what is the Gordon House and uh, where is it? Well, the Gordon House is a humble little 2,100 square foot home uh, that currently resides at the Oregon Garden in Silverton. It is uh, a uh, house that originally had been located in uh, in Wilsonville, Oregon, uh, that was moved to the current site where it is now. Mm-hmm. And. I'd like to find out a little bit about yourself as well at the beginning. Okay. Not everyone will know the name Kim Knox. Uh, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about what your involvement is with the uh, the Gordon House and the Gordon House Conservancy. Well, I my current task is being the chair of the board of the Gordon House Conservancy. And uh, in that capacity, I'm responsible for... Um, I'm not responsible for it. I get to work with a, a lot of pretty amazing people who, at this point, given the the relative short period of time that the organization has been uh, around, are basically the folks that brought the Gordon House into being in terms of making it a public place, uh, overseeing the the move and reconstruction of the house. And um, so the Gordon House Conservancy Board of Directors is made up of contractors, architects, local architectural historians and um, other interested parties that have come together to uh, preserve the house. Um, mm-hmm. So as the board chair, I get to work with all these folks on on keeping the house uh, preserved and, and maintained. All right. Um, so, excuse me, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and then uh, the reason I got involved with the house in the first place was that I was uh, the project manager on the um the dismantling and relocation and putting the house together. So mm-hmm. uh, I had a um, the great opportunity of, of being involved with a lot of amazing people that were able to pull that off. And uh, as much as uh, I was also fortunate, I slept with the house one night while it was oh, really? in route. So there were no ghosts or anything. No ghosts. <laughs> it was my claim to fame to sleep at the house while it was when it wasn't quite when it was between homes. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, tell me, uh, f- again, for those of us that may not know, uh, what merited all this attention with this place now? I assume it wasn't always necessarily called this, but called the Gordon House. Well, the Gordon House is actually the name it has always had. Uh, it was the thing that gives it its most merit is the fact that it was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, which is uh, who is well-known as one of the uh, most outstanding 
outstanding architects of the 20th century. He uh, designed uh, a lot of houses that are probably much more, uh, people are much more aware of, like Falling Water, like the Johnson Wax Museum, like the Guggenheim in uh, New York. Um, uh, but he also designed other houses for people of modest means, and that's what the Gordon House is. And this family of homes that he designed were called Usonian houses, mm-hmm. and um, this is an, a local example of that. And the reason that's important is this, uh, this is the only house designed by Frank Lloyd Wright in Oregon, and um, the Gordons uh, were vacationing in in Arizona back in the 50s, and uh, they expressed an interest. They were visiting Taliesin, which was the site of uh, Wright's uh, architectural school uh, in Arizona, and they expressed an interest in having Wright design a home for him, and some of the docents there said, well, just a minute, we will check, and they ushered the Gordons in uh, to a meeting directly with Mr. Wright, and he expressed an interest in designing a home for them, and they took him up on that. So, uh, so really, they were the, like the first ones they were, to get they this were. unique uh, style, Usonian style, uh, that came on the market. In Oregon. In Oregon. In Oregon, yes. There had been other Usonian homes built, but okay. uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gordon had a farm in Wilsonville in the area that's now Charbonneau, and there are people that I run into to this day that live in the Wilsonville area that remember doing work for Mr. Gordon on his farm. Hmm. Um, So it's a very local story. These were just um, some people from Oregon that had an interest in Mr. Wright's architecture and uh, asked him and commissioned the house design that he did. Well, as I remember uh, reading and not reading it, in watching an OPB uh, video mm-hmm. of, about uh, Lloyd Frank Lloyd Wright and the Usonian houses, but all of them. It, it appears that the people that were uh, interested in his particular architecture were always drawn to him for some reason. Mm-hmm. Is there any sense of that uh, from the history uh, that you know about the Gordons? And you, know, uh, you know, I know Mrs. Gordon was very involved with the arts, and um, she was a weaver. Um, I personally don't know that much more specifically about why why they would have been attracted to write. I do know they were very proud of the house when it was completed and held an open house the first weekend that it was uh, completed, and I think over 2,000 people visited the house. Oh, my gosh. That it caused enough of a a local stir that um, enough of other people interested. And if you can imagine being on the outskirts of Wilsonville back in the 50s, or early, this was the early 60s, um, and having a very modern home, uh, located there, it was, it was quite a phenomenon. Sort of an outstanding event yeah, <laughs> which yeah, attract and, people. Yeah, and, and obviously the Gordons were aware of, of its, its interest with people in general because it, it was unique and they wanted to share that with other folks. Well, I, what, the other thing that, that uh, seems uh, important is that I, I just recently uh, went to see the Falling Water House mm-hmm. uh, in Pennsylvania and it has long, flat roofs and very large extended balconies that come out from the house. And it and the Usonian houses appear to have very flat roofs. They don't have peak roofs, as I recall. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that correct? It is. It's very correct. Right. And there's some parts of the structure that stand out away from the building as well, mm-hmm. maybe reminiscent of the uh, style uh, mm-hmm. from the 30s, actually, mm-hmm. uh, with the falling water. Um, so, so this beautiful house then that was built specifically for them by the the, the Frank Lloyd Wright 
and his family of mm -hmm. architects and so on. I mean, that, that was back in the 50s. We're talking about some 50-some years later uh, that, that this house somehow ended up at the Oregon Garden. How, how, did, mm -hmm. how did that process work out? How did that happen? Well, um, the house um, was... Uh, after uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gordon died, uh, the house passed on into the family, and the uh, heirs of the Gordons sold it to an individual who was not interested in preserving the house. It, by that time, had become pretty um, run down and needed a lot of work. And uh, they, the Frank Lloyd Wright Building Conservancy, which is a national organization in, based in Chicago dedicated to preserving Wright's buildings, um, got wind of this and um, swooped in and made a deal with uh, the people that were that owned the house to they gave them 90 days to move the house off the property mm -hmm. and. Um, by the time the the whole process of figuring out who was going to get the house uh, uh, as their project, you know, they, what they did is they put out a competitive proposal for anybody that was interested in the house, and the Oregon Garden uh, put together a team of people and uh, made a proposal and were selected as the recipients of the house. Um, so by the time that selection process was complete, there was a nine-week period of time that we had to um, basically document every single thing in the house, label it, take all the woodwork out, um, we cut the building into four different pieces, and um, moved it all off the site and down to uh, the Oregon Garden, where uh, it was it was a great match to have it go down there because of the public nature of the garden um, and the fact that the house could be shared with people in perpetuity in that way and to remain public. So it's a, it's a gift to Oregon in a lot of ways. That so all of that, happened. all of that happened within a 90-day period. Well, it actually, all that within a 90-day and exactly. Wow. I mean, that's really fast when it, it comes down to identifying somebody who even wants it, let alone trying to figure out, well, how do we get the money to pay for the cost of, of moving it? Was there uh, much volunteer effort that was part of this, or was it pretty much, as, as you recall, uh, paid for by funds that were raised, and I don't even know how that would have happened. Yeah, the, uh, the Oregon Garden were the, were the uh, front of the money, took the leadership in the role, in that capacity, and um, they, there was an enormous amount of volunteer time and effort. At the same time, we recognized that doing something of this nature for something that was so nationally significant um, did demand uh, a certain level of expertise that you have to pay for. <laughs> you, right, know, you don't want right. to just, you know, with, with all the good intentions of people that come front to the front in something like this, it's also very important that it be done in a way that that's acceptable to all the parties involved. So um, it was moved and put back together at a total cost of 1.2 million dollars. Okay. And uh, that has come through a variety of fundraising grants, uh, the Oregon Garden, and some other sources that um, to get it to uh, to where we have it today. Right now, not only did you have to figure out where you wanted it or how and how it was going to get there, but also when you got it there, there apparently were a variety of different factors that uh, were considered in terms of its placement, its uh, you know its basic foundation, and so on. How did that work out? Well, I have to admit, 
as a project manager how naive I was about all okay. of the things going into it. And given the fact that we were doing this in a nine-week period, it was a very quick learning process for mm -hmm. me. And uh, so we had done a lot of the – we kind of knew the, the Frank Lloyd Wright Building Conservancy, when they first selected the Oregon Garden, had looked at a couple sites that they had offered up. But they settled on this one particular area of the garden as being the most appropriate. And so we did the tests about the soils and all that kind of thing to make sure – it would make sense putting it where it was, and um, but when it came time to actually siting it at the site, um, you know you can't recreate a distance of a, a view in the distance of Mount Hood oh, right. or you create the Willamette River. But what we did do, what's so important to Wright's architecture, is the notion of where the windows are placed and framing views and inside-outside links. That there were some very important components of that mm -hmm. that we needed to match, as well as the orientation to the sun. Right. And so what we did was, um, uh, unfortunately, I had done the soil tests in one location, and we ended up putting the building in another location and ran into all sorts of boulders. When we tried oh. to, you know, <laughs> well, where did they come That's from? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, that, you know, a, a minor impediment, of course. But, um, so, but we did orient it in a location where you could capture that same. When you're not looking out at Mount Hood, but you have a view a, you know, a distant view in two directions, and that it's it's um, placed exactly north-south. You can't, you know, not true north, not magnetic north, right, but the okay. true north. And and some of those things that were really critical in the whole design of this whole idea about linking the inside and the outside of the house um, is was really fundamental to how how we placed it. Now, this house opened at, at approximately in 2001. Okay, so it's okay. been about six years. No, I'm sorry. In 2000, here's my date. Okay. <laughs> oh, those dates are uh, so elusive, right? They are very elusive. Right. Um, we opened the house in 2002. Okay. So we we moved the house uh, starting in January. Frank Lloyd Wright Building Conservancy signed the agreement with uh, the uh, Gordon with the Oregon with the owner in, in January of 2001, and mm -hmm. then then. Over 2001, we took it apart, moved it, and put it back together, and then we opened it in 2002. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming that a few things had to be worked on. A few things, <laughs> before, yes. Before that was going to work for everybody. Yes. yes. Well, uh, in, in terms of this particular opening, then in 2002, uh -huh. what what kind of response was the did you get from the public in terms of this particular and very unique structure? Well, I guess it was it was fabulous, and it was great. The um, uh, there were a lot of there was a lot of interest in it. Uh, it you know when we were moving the house, it made CNN. So there were oh, okay. people aware of of the fact that it was there and it was being moved. And then you know again, kind of part of the as our in our partnership with the Oregon Garden at the time, there's all the people interested in the garden and and all the people that come with that. And there were a lot of people that turned out, and we had um, a very like a I think probably 800 person kind of opening reception mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. It was um, linked with uh, national experts on Frank Lloyd Wright coming to town shortly after. And so it received a lot of local and national attention at the time. And um, it was, what, but it also, to me, what was really important is it also uh, brought out the woodwork, uh, the people that had originally worked on the house. The old uh, carpenters and oh, really? contractors. And, okay. Yeah, and to me that was like, 
that, was, that meant a lot to me. And, and to them, too, there was kind of, they thought it was a pretty funny deal when they worked on it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then to uh, come back. It was a little it, unique for its time, I'm it, sure. It very much was. And the whole way it was built, it's built like a giant piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. These, um, it happened to be all men that worked on it and that it was the, what these men did in terms of their craftsmanship was just extraordinary. And the, the, if you look at the details of the house, it's just phenomenal how they've notched wood into match the, where the, the walls kind of have um, indentations in them and such. It's just a, a stunning, like it's a lot of fine woodworking. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, and it's the tolerances of, of a piece of furniture as opposed to a house as you'd see it. So are there multiple uses to any one of the rooms, um, or is it pretty clear cut that you have like the great room and maybe a, a dining room or uh, kitchen, et cetera? It's pretty clear cut in the, in the bedrooms. The private spaces are very private. The kitchen is called the workroom, and it is a two-story space with a skylight on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of room to move. But then you get into the great space where the dining and living occur. It's very uh, wide-open, fluid space, but enough kind of niches here and there to really sit, have subspaces within the, the larger space. And that was what was so amazing about what Wright did at his when he first started these designing these houses was changing from the Victorian world of doors and walls, separating all the activities to more of this open plan. And at the Gordon House, in addition to the, the space that's in the living room, there's these these 12-foot-high floor-to-ceiling doors that oh, open then on the terraces outside. Mm-hmm. So, and those those they're all at the same level as the living room. There's no threshold in the floor. It's just and it's the same material inside and outside. So it's a seamless inside-outside flow that. Um, again, the emphasis, particularly at the Gordon House, I think, is that inside-outside link um, because of, you know, the main space. You know, it's, it's not that big, but you can open those doors, and those doors are glass, so you can see inside-outside. It's just mm-hmm. a, an amazing mm-hmm. space. Now, did he play – I mean, I, when I was in the uh, – uh, all of a sudden, I can't think of the name. Falling water. Falling water. Thank you very much. <laughs> when I was at Falling Water, there was a lot of play with height of rooms. In mm-hmm. some private areas, it was quite low, mm-hmm. and were as large as uh, larger areas within some of the more uh, public areas. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a, an accent that happened in this house as well, or was it, it pretty is even? Or? Not as often as it happens in Falling Water. Okay. We're only 2,100 square feet. Right, right. But, uh, but he, it again, is kind of the efficiencies and the beauty of the design of this house is that. Um, um, the main place that you notice it is you come in to the the entry area of the house. The ceiling is quite low, and then it, you keep going forward into the great room, and it the ceiling is now is two stories tall or mm-hmm. one and a half. Um, but because you've come through through the low ceiling of the entry, it's like the space in front of you just explodes. So it explodes up, and it explodes out because you you look out these floor to ceiling windows doors out to the terrace outside and so it's like it just over um it just expands your sense of how big that space is mm-hmm. uh because of the contrast of the low height and the tall space and uh again doing all that in a very small square footage mm-hmm. like particularly compared to the day standards part of the transfer of the house the house come it's owned by uh, the city of Silverton, actually, oh, and okay. the Frank Lloyd Wright Building Conservancy maintains an easement on the house, and so our relationship with the conservancy is they have um, approval rights over what goes on in the house in terms of the physical, any physical changes to the house, mm-hmm. and they've been a great partner throughout 
throughout this in that, you know, we're we're pretty new at this and there's this a huge infrastructure of Frank Lloyd Wright background and perspectives that we are still learning from to this day. They are they have a great uh, national conference every year which we're gonna go to in October and All right. <laughs> um and then um we've also linked with uh, a program called the, the um, re, you know, reciprocal memberships with other some of the big boys with mm -hmm. with so falling water Guggenheim <laughs> exactly and so that that's new for us this year and that's just thrilling you know to be you know in our having our name you know, along with the likes of the Roby House and Hollyhock House and the Guggenheim is just uh, helps us remember remind us that where we are on the map it's a very important place <laughs> right well it's you know that's the it's the big structures the johnson waxes mm -hmm. the falling water uh type of structures that really you know became really the the, the leading the points of architecture the mm -hmm. high points of architecture that mm -hmm. became known and the usonian is not really then my mind is not not been something that was highlighted uh, so it's really, uh, I think it's valuable. Mm -hmm. Do you, don't you agree that, that the Usonian is here and it sort of highlights the importance of this aspect of, of his work? Oh, very much. And I think there's a lot of other um, mid-century architects that have done phenomenal work in the Portland and Oregon area that this is, uh, it, when you look at the family of those, uh, it, it when you put it in the context of how ahead of their time all these people were right. in some of these innovations they were coming up with, it's just a great it's a great Northwest heritage, I think. Mm -hmm. And the and the and the incorporation of the wood, uh, it just speaks of the Northwest. And uh, you know, I was raised in the house with a very pointy roof. Okay, right. <laughs> not everybody was, and, and I think it's always interesting for people to come see one that that, that wasn't. But it, and not only is it a flat roof, it's a a big flat roof, mm -hmm. and uh, I think just to, you learn so much more about your own background when you go see something that's different. And you know, a lot of people come to the house and say there's no way they'd ever live there, um, and other people have other experiences with it too. It's just a different. It's just another thing you learn about to contrast where where you came from. Right. Now, there's all the the important things of buildings simply because they get old is that there's always some kind of need for sort maintenance and so has there and I mean when you constructed it, which wasn't that long ago now reconstructed it, I'm assuming that a lot of work was put in terms of bringing it back to a, some reasonable level of of uh, well being and has it has it still uh, continue to be an issue in terms of the level of maintenance that's required on a structure like this? Or? Well, it is, and I, I'll kind of step back a little bit. It, it took everything we had to get the house moved and put back together, quite right. honestly. And we, in, and like I had said earlier, it was in, uh, hadn't been maintained for several years. And uh, we walked away from the house. I know the team that was working on it was felt like our job wasn't done yet. <laughs> it <Right>. wasn't. <laughs> we started it, right? We started it. We got it here, but we don't want to go, but, you know, there's no more money. And so what, um, over the past five years, um, much through the leadership of Elsa Coleman, who was the original chair of the Gordon House Conservancy, um, her through her efforts and kind of relentless uh, uh, pursuit of other funds and cajoling and convincing other people to keep kind of funneling some more funds into the house. We've secured uh, small grants, but nonetheless very important grants from the Architectural Foundation of Oregon, the Oregon Arts Commission, Cultural Trust, um, many local uh, entities that have provided us with uh, 
small, you know, mid-size uh, grants to um, this. This last year, we were able to refurbish the exterior wood on the house, which um, if some people went in the first few years of the house, they should go back now because it is stunning. And it basically, the, the, a lot of mildew had gotten into that very soft wood, and it was kind mm -hmm. of dark and gray and stained. And um, they did a very interesting, because of the softness of the wood, they used a, a, a corn husk blowing uh, stripping kind of machine water and corn husks on the building to strip oh, really? off the old mildew and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and reseal it with a, a, a local manufacturer's product. And so that is there. We're now, we're just about in a month or so going to be putting up some new interpretive signage so there's something to read about the house outside. Um, we got a grant to um, do a historical survey of the materials in the house so that then we've now refurbished some, some of the woodwork because the woodwork had glass stains on, you know, from people's glasses being put on it and right, right. Just all sorts of just normal wear and tear but then having the house sit idle for so many years so we're still we still have a long way to go <laughs> okay. on the, just getting it back to where it should be mm -hmm. so there's that and then now now that uh, one of the challenges for the coming year is thinking about things like okay now we've got it that that exterior wood refurbished and resealed it, we need to reseal it again this year so there's these you know new costs of once you start upgrading it maintaining it at that yeah, level costs money as well right. exactly yeah. so it's this it's a catch-22 it's a you know spend money now so you can also spend more money later right <laughs> great That's a, well, again, thank you very much uh, for this uh, update on what's happening with uh, the uh, Gordon House and uh, how the background and history of it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wayne. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As of February 2021, individual Oregon Garden members may stay and visit the Gordon House. An individual may arrange to stay overnight with three additional guests for $599. This includes tickets to the Oregon Gardens and a bottle of Oregon wine. Individuals may have a tour of the Gordon House for $20 per person. The tour vouchers are valid for up to one year and may be used upon reserving a date for the visit. Any visitors and overnighters are required to wear masks and complete a health screening. To learn more about the Gordon House visits and overnights, you need to use the website thegordonhouse.org forward slash visit or call them at 503 8746006 This has been another edition of Keeping Current with Wayne Potter.